just when you thought like Texas couldn't do anything else awesome. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. He was a small-town boy from Texas whose pulp fiction stories became the very basis of the sword and sorcery fantasy genre. This week, we're talking about the tragic life of Robert E. Howard. But first, what oil industry job would you least like to have? Well, I'll go first. Uh, my dad said he had a job in high school uh, that is that my grandfather got him. It was cleaning out oil tanks from the inside. And he said it was a absolutely foul and nasty job. Apparently, crude oil stinks, and it gets everywhere. I can so, imagine that. Yeah. Yep. And uh, my dad also had stories of uh, similar tasks uh, out at the, the plant that he worked at. So, yeah, I, I think I would not like to have that one, too. Um, but the other one that I would not like to have is whatever the guy is that uh, is handling all the pipes on the drill rig and all the, the mud's flying everywhere. And then when the rig blows up, you, you get thrown across and, you know, into the water up against the wall or whatever, you know. Most of my knowledge of oil drilling work, of course, comes from movies like Armageddon and Deepwater Horizon. So mm. um, it may so be you- an imaginary situation that I'm avoiding. So you don't want the job of Sparky, who Mark Wahlberg goes, Sparky, no! Yeah, yeah, I don't want to be Sparky. Well, I'm just going to say, I mean, okay, so a job I least want to have, as in, like, is not a great job, would probably be, like, something in the whale oil industry, I think, would probably be, (laughs) you know, whale oil salesman seems to be really on the decline. And you don't want to be a poacher. The other thing would be, um, I don't think I'd be want to be like a henchman in a hard hat, like walking around as James Bond is trying to get to the secret lair hidden beneath the oil derrick, because I probably just get <laughs> thrown off the side in like a Mr. Bond, meet, some kind of parkour type fist fight in these new Take care Bonds. Of him. <laughs> Take care of him, Sparky. Oh. Uh, the giant ranch. Hey, if you're an oil worker or retired oil worker, <laughs> we salute you. It's a tough job, and we're a bunch of wimps. <laughs> yep. Robert Howard was born January 22, 1906, in Peaster, Texas, to Isaac and Hester Howard. Isaac was a traveling country doctor, and Robert's early life was spent moving to West Texas cow towns and boom towns. They moved a dozen times before Robert was 10. The Howards had a turbulent relationship. Isaac was terrible with money, constantly investing in bad get-rich schemes, and Hester was a dominating, overprotective woman who was stricken with chronic tuberculosis when Robert was very young. Isaac was distant, but Robert was close to his mother, who instilled him with the love of reading and writing. The turbulent and unsettled home life had its effect on Robert's childhood. He grew up lonely and had difficulty making friends. Oil fields and tau... Oil fields and cow towns were still rough and harsh places to live, even in the early 20th century. Robert was a bookish, studious child with a keen sense of right and wrong, and he developed an appreciation for physical strength. As a teenager, he gravitated to boxing and bodybuilding. As a youngster, though, one of the few activities where he interacted positively with other kids his age was in recreating myths and legends with wooden swords and shields, sort of a precursor to Amped Guard and the Society of Creative Anachronism. 
And unlike other kids, he actually stuck with this into his teens. Howard was an average student in anything other than reading and writing, mostly because he was bored and resented the authority his teachers had over him. He was a voracious reader and read all the books in every library he came across. He started writing at nine years old, mostly tales of historical fiction centering on Vikings, Arabs, battles and bloodshed, basically. He gravitated towards the authors and books that covered the same ground. The adventure yarns of Jack London and Rudyard Kipling, the Arthur Cycle, the histories of ancient Britain and Europe, and all sorts of mythology. In 1919, when Robert was 13, Dr. Howard moved his family to the tiny West Texas town of Cross Plains and stayed there for the rest of Howard's life. In 1920, the nearby Vestal Well struck oil and Cross Plains became a boomtown, its population quickly growing from 1,500 to 10,000. This was great for Dr. Howard, but Robert hated the boom and despised the people who came with it. Years later, he wrote, quote, I'll say one thing about an oil boom. It will teach a kid that life's a pretty rotten thing as quick as anything I can think of. When Robert was 15, he discovered pulp magazines, those cheap magazines full of serialized short stories of adventure and action, which are looked down upon as not real literature, but which have always captivated so many generations of teenagers and future writers. The next few years saw him creating a number of characters and submitting stories to magazines such as Adventure and Argosy. This early in his career, rejections piled up, but Howard began studying the markets and tailored his stories and style to each one. So he'd send adventures, you know, frontier adventure stories to adventure, or maybe he'd send, you know, boxing yeah, he stories. He just figured to, out what the publishers yeah, wanted. Yeah, he, he was writing different stories for different, different pulp magazines. In 1922, Robert and Hester temporarily moved to a boarding house in nearby Brownwood so he could complete his senior year of high school in a better district. In Brownwood, he first made friends with other young men who shared his interests in sports, history, and literature. He maintained relationships with two of these, Tevis Clyde Smith and Truett Vinson, for the rest of his life. The correspondence they shared provided valuable insights into Howard's opinion, philosophy, and the evolution of his writing. They also worked together at the local high school newspaper, which was the first to publish any work by Robert Howard. Howard graduated from high school in May of 1923 and moved back to Cross Plains. He spent his late teens working odd jobs around the town, but he hated the work. He took, vocational stenog he took vocational stenography courses in Brownwood, but he desperately wanted to be a writer. Finally, in 1924, he sold a short story about a caveman called Spear and Fang for $16 to the little-known pulp Weird Tales. Howard returned to Cross Plains and began to have more stories picked up by the magazine. He also wrote a loosely autobiographical novel that failed to be published. Now, Weird Tales paid on publication, so while he was writing, he had to get paying work again. He bounced around various jobs, but never really liked any of them. His work for Weird Tales helped turn the magazine around, and he became a steady regular. In 1926, his writing took a turn for the better. Instead of straight adventure stories, he began working on a new weird style popular in the pulps. The earliest such story, The Shadow Kingdom, mixed elements of fantasy, horror, and mythology with historical romance, action, and swordplay. It was a new style of story that ultimately became known as sword and sorcery. It featured a new character, a heroic, violent barbarian named Call the Conqueror. Howard worked on the story for two years before he was satisfied. 
Weird Tales bought the story for $100, which was the most Howard had earned for a story, and several more call stories followed. However, only two were published at the time, convincing him not to continue with the series. In March 1928, Howard salvaged a rejected story called Red Shadows for Weird Tales magazine. It was the first of many stories featuring a vengeful Puritan swashbuckler named Solomon Kane. The character was a big hit with readers, and seven Kane stories were printed from 1928 to 32. He also sold several boxing and ghost stories, sometimes boxing ghost stories, to other magazines before hitting gold with another popular character, two-fisted sailor Steve Costigan, in the pages of Fight Stories. With magazines now buying all his stories, Howard became a full-time writer working for one cent a word. His success even led his father, who had been critical before, to brag about his success. Howard's Celtic phase began in 1930, during which he became fascinated by Celtic themes and his own Irish ancestry. Howard learned a little Gaelic, examined his family history, and began writing about Irish characters, including a fierce Pictish warrior, Bran McMorn, who became the most popular character of these stories. In August 1930, Howard wrote a letter to Weird Tales praising a recent reprint of horror writer H.P. Lovecraft's The Rat in the Walls. Lovecraft responded warmly, and soon the two men struck up a vigorous correspondence, and he introduced Howard to the Lovecraft Circle. This was an immense correspondent network Lovecraft had built up with other writers, friends, and admirers. Lovecraft even gave Howard the nickname Two-Gun Bob due to Howard's long missives about the culture and history of his beloved Texas. The Circle shared stories, utilized each other's fictional works, and helped each other succeed in the pulp field, profoundly influencing the future evolution of fantasy, horror, and sci-fi literature. The correspondence between Howard and Lovecraft contained a lengthy discussion on a frequent element in Howard's fiction, barbarism versus civilization. Howard believed that civilization was inherently corrupt and fragile, and believed that barbarism was the natural state of mankind. Lovecraft held the opposite view that civilization was the peak of human achievement and the only way forward. This remained a point of contention between the two for the rest of Howard's life. With the onset of the Great Depression, many pulp markets disappeared. Magazines failed, and though Howard had steady work, he had fewer magazines to sell to. In addition, his family lost most of its savings when the local bank failed. In early 1932, he took a long trip through Texas to rejuvenate himself. In Fredericksburg, he conceived of the fantasy land of Samaria, a bitter hard northern region home to fearsome barbarians. But he did more than just come up with a new setting. He wrote to Arthur, Clark Ashton Smith, that a character, quote, simply grew up in my mind a few years ago when I was stopping in a little border town on the lower Rio Grande. This character would become his most famous creation, another barbarian, Conan. Over the course of nine months, he fleshed out a completely new world set in a fictional prehistoric age called the Hyborian Age. This allowed him to tell stories in a world with its own history, but didn't need to match our own history or natural order. He was doing a lot of research into historical characters, and it was really wearing him down. Now, there's similarities to real-world events, but he also had room for magic and monsters and just was able to make things up. Howard recycled a cull story called By This Axe I Rule into his first Conan story, which he retitled The Phoenix on the Sword. He also wrote two more stories, The Frost Giant's Daughter and The God in the Bowl. He sent these stories to Weird Tales and then fully drafted out his Hyborian universe along with maps and notes. 
And the Frost Giant's Daughter and the God in the Bowl were rejected, but the Phoenix on the Sword was published, along with another Conan story he'd just written, The Tower of the Elephant. By this time, Howard actually had nine Conan stories written before the first one even saw print. Howard would need them. Conan first appeared in Weird Tales in December 1932, and was such a hit that he had 17 published between 1933 and 1936. Many of the stories were quick, simple, damsel-in-distress stories, but later ones were more epic. Howard also created yet another character, James Allison, a disabled Texan who begins to recall his past lives, the first of which was in The Hyborian Age. He also attempted to write several more novels, including at least two Conan stories. His attempt to publish the only Conan novel he completed failed, but Weird Tales serialized it beginning in 1935. Howard may have begun losing interest in Conan in late 1934, but through 1936 he continued to write stories for his home at Weird Tales, even though they fell behind in their payments. After 1934, Howard found himself increasingly fascinated with the history and lore of Texas. Many of his letters to H.P. Lovecraft were filled with stories he had picked up from elderly Civil War veterans, Texas Rangers, and pioneers. Ironically, despite Conan's success, his most commercial successful series within his own lifetime were the Breckenridge Elkin stories. These stories, written as tall tales, featured an exaggerated cartoonish version of Howard himself. They were so successful that other magazines asked Howard for similar characters. Despite his success, Howard was known in town as a moody, eccentric fellow. He had a wide network of correspondents, but he had few real friends beyond Smith and Vincent. Howard is only known to have had one girlfriend, a local schoolteacher named Novaline Price, who he met when she dated Smith. Price was an aspiring writer, and she sought out his advice, although their first meeting was awkward. They met again a year later when she got a job at Cross Plains High School, and their friendship and common interests blossomed somewhat into an on-and-off relationship. Things weren't helped by the passive-aggressive meddling of Howard's mother or by Howard's inability to commit to a traditional relationship. Price later began dating Truett Vinson, which further damaged things, and though they parted as friends when she moved to Louisiana in 1936, they never spoke or wrote to each other again. By 1936, almost all of Howard's writing was devoted to westerns, and he was earning serious money. It was said that he earned more than three times the salary of the local bank manager. He was finally about to have a novel published, and it looked as if he would break out of the pulps. However, life became increasingly difficult for Howard. All his close friends had married or immersed themselves in their careers. Price was gone, and his most reliable market, Weird Tales, was more than $1,500 behind on their payments. Most importantly, the one constant in Howard's life, his mother, was succumbing to tuberculosis. Howard began to show signs of depression as his mother's condition continued to worsen. In June 1936, Hester Howard slipped into a final coma. On the morning of June 11, 1936, Howard asked one of his mother's nurses if she would ever regain consciousness. When she told him no, he walked out to his car, took a pistol from the glove box, and shot himself in the head. Despite his father's efforts to save him, Howard died eight hours later. Howard's mother followed him in death the next day. Three days after, a double funeral service was held at Cross Plains First Baptist Church, and Robert and Hester were buried in Greenleaf Cemetery in Brownwood. Robert Howard's legacy extended after his death in 1936. Howard's most famous character, Conan the Barbarian, is a pop culture mainstay 
that has com- been compared to such icons as Tarzan and Sherlock Holmes. Howard's works and characters have sold in greater numbers than any other fantasy writer besides J.R.R. Tolkien. Other, over the years, other creations of Howard's were published and collected. Other authors expanded on his characters, especially Conan and Call. Both became popular comic book characters in the 1970s and 80s, and ultimately, Conan the Barbarian was made into the movie that made Arnold Schwarzenegger a star. In the years since, there have been movies, TV series, cartoons, comics, and games produced of Conan, Cole, Kane, and others. Among the most important sources of information on the private life of Robert Howard are the private journals of Novaline Price. Price recorded all her conversations into a journal, preserving an intimate record of her time with Howard. Fifty years after Howard's death, she published her record of their relationship in a book called One Who Walked Alone. This served as the basis of the 1996 film The Whole Wide World, which starred Vincent D'Onofrio as Howard and Renee Zellweger as Price. Today there are countless books, journals, and academic studies of the writing of Howard, as well as numerous publications of his vast correspondence. Much of this correspondence is preserved at Howard's House in Cross Plains, which has been converted into the Robert E. Howard Museum and has been added to the National Register of Historic Places. Perhaps the best tribute to Robert Howard came in the words of famous horror writer Stephen King, who wrote in his study of the horror genre, quote, Howard overcame the limitations of his puerile material by the force and fury of his writing and by his imagination, which was powerful beyond his hero Conan's wildest dreams of power. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't know about Conan? And yeah. uh, he was born in Texas, just like Popeye. I know. <laughs> There's a lot of great pop culture coming out of the Lone Star State, my friends. Yeah, you know, the thing about it is is he, he did have his first published work in in 1922, uh, but really his his publishing career lasted from 1924 to 1936. It's 12 years. I really kicked off and really got going kind of in 1928 was really when he became a full-time writer. So he had a very short career. Um, he was a young guy. He was 30 years old. He'd only lived in Texas. He briefly lived in New Orleans for a few months while his father was taking a class at, at a New Orleans university when he was a kid. But other than that, he lived in Texas his whole life. He never went anywhere except Texas. And he loved Texas. That's great. And he wrote a lot of literature about Texas and Texas heroes, right. and that's cool. Um, but, but here's the one thing about this story that I can't... Um, there's parts of this story that seem like they were lifted from the script of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mother. Uh, but, uh, the uh, yeah, the idea that he he just was an odd duck. Yeah, he was a strange guy. Strange very, guy. Very oh, well, he's, guy. he became pen pals with Lovecraft. Yeah, that's yeah. So funny. That's yeah, yeah, I was going to comment no on that. that. It's like, um, you know, a uh, mid-20th century uh, Slack channel, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's all these people, writers and friends of writers, and, you know, just having this correspondence going back and forth, you know, their own little social network. Yeah, and, and quite frankly, that's really one of the primary sources for information about Robert Howard that you get from is from this, you know, there's such a cult around H.P. Lovecraft and around the Lovecraft circle. Um, it's one of the great literary circles of all times. Now, just because the material's weird and, you know, not as highfalutin as, you know, the, you know, the, the Parker circle or, or of the, 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 
you know, the, the Algonquin, Algonquin Inkwell, Five. Yeah, the Algonquin. It's not as, <laughs> it's not as highfalutin as the Algonquin <laughs> Circle, but it is. You know, it is an important part of of, of genre literature. Um, the funny thing I thought about it was that you've got this this debate over civilization uh, between Howard and and Lovecraft, and it's like, you know, replace. Hobbes and Locke, uh, you know, with with a with a barrel chested Texan and a sickly New Englander, um, you know, who who writes stories about unnamed horrors and the other guy writes stories about barbarians. So, you know, but they're having this debate about what where the value of civilization is versus barbarism. So I think that's pretty fascinating. And to have it come out of, you know, this what people would consider low, low, uh, low brow, uh, genre writing is right. Well, I thought for, for a second there, I thought you were going to put down Brownwood and say like a low brow town, like Brownwood. <laughs> uh, he didn't live in Brownwood. We, I know we have a few crossing. listeners in Brownwood for sure. So we <laughs> well, salute like, you. Brownwood's a step up. Brownwood is a step up from cross plane. <laughs> local jokes will get you local work, my friend. Um, <laughs> you know, the thing about like, is crazy to me is you you look at like the prolific nature. I mean, you can look at him and say, well, gosh, this guy like created, basically created sort of the, this whole fantasy genre. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow. Uh, and he did it just literally like just writing stories and mailing them off to magazines. <laughs> um, yeah. And then out of that came this whole empire of stuff, but it's not just the fact that he created one sort of thing like he had he created numerous properties um i think you jump forward in time a few years to the you know the sort of stanley jack kirby for the comic book type people of like just or even even stephen king just prolific writer who created very you know uh extreme but interesting characters and worlds so it, it was really interesting yeah and he took the time, especially for Conan, to really sit down and world build. Uh, that that's what's important is that the, and that that material is collected. It's mm -hmm. a lot of letters and a lot of journal entries and stuff. But he world built that Hyborian age, so it's really it is fully fleshed out um, that he handed that over to posterity. Essentially, mm -hmm. uh, to me, I think the interesting thing about Howard is that imitation is the purest form of flattery. That. Without Conan, there's so much that you don't have. And in the same way that without, you know, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, there's so much that you don't have today. But, I mean, the mm -hmm. there is basically a character class in the Dungeons and Dragons role-playing game that is barbarian, that is Conan, essentially. You right. you make a Conan character. No, I understand. Yeah. yeah, not only did people expand on Conan and on Call. But they made imitations of them. I mean, look at Thundar the Barbarian. I mean, no, that's no. a Conan clone with the with a lightsaber, basically. Mm -hmm. I would tell yeah. people to go yeah. watch Beastmaster, but uh, you're good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, here's what you should watch: Beastmaster. Yeah, I take it back. It is. Or Hunter of the Future. <laughs> well, here's the thing: um, oh. that there isn't there isn't a, a there is not a ghost boxer in Dungeons oh. and Dragons. There is no ghost. <laughs> Ghost boxing guy. That would be. Uh, be I would awesome. like to find a ghost boxing story. <laughs> I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd kind of like to go and track down some of these old stories that I had no idea about, like his his Texas Ranger stories yeah. and, uh, it, like Mike said, the ghost boxers. You know that that could be interesting. Yeah. Um, I do want to say I can't be a hundred percent positive that I have ever read 
actual Robert Howard Conan stories. Um, because when I was a kid, they had a whole series of cheap paperback novels at the library, um, many of them with Robert Howard's name on the cover. But I'm pretty sure that they wrote a whole bunch of those as like a assembly line type deal where it was uh, right, as Robert uh, Howard's Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, well, but I mean, it was actually his name is like by Robert E. Howard. And uh, but I don't know that that was actually his story. So I'm, I'm going to have to go back and, and try and track those down and, and see if they were his mm. or if they were by some of the other authors. Yeah. But um, yeah. either way, um, like we were saying, he inspired so many other authors to uh, give their own take on this mm-hmm. stuff. And every week um, or every month or whenever it comes to mind when I'm making up my stories for D&D, you know, um, hugely inspired by uh, this legacy of this uh, Texan from right. Brownwood. Well, I just, I remember my cousin had the, um, my, you know, I'd seen the movie. The movie was my end to these, to this writing and this guy. And then my cousin was a voracious collector of the Conan comics through the eighties. And he had, I think some of the early late seventies ones. So uh, it was always like a long box that was sort of tucked away not for reading, of course, heaven forbid, but still. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he's he made Arnold Arnold. We all look up to him, and yep. yet again, we tell another story and say, you know, wow, isn't it amazing that this guy's a Texan? Just when you thought like Texas couldn't do anything else awesome, they go and <laughs> they make Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, well. Either it was a Texan or it was a giant cockroach in a Texan suit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's no, ta- I would like to see like, like, a, like the mashup, you know, like the <laughs> private, like the unpublished <laughs> works of like, okay, you know, let the, the horror at, at Dunwich with like the Hulu and all that stuff. And then Conan shows up and. Sticks yeah, a sword at him and wins the Conan day. Conan versus Cthulhu, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm amazed that we haven't we've we've gotten to this whole episode without hearing what is best in life, Conan. <laughs> well, because Howard didn't actually write that, but still, you know, yeah. But John it, Milius is not from Texas, unfortunately. You, you know what? But the but John Milius, you know, I have listened to the the dire, uh, director's commentary <laughs> with John Milius. <laughs> I've listened to the commentary with Milius and, and with Schwarzenegger from. The Conan movie, and John Milius did say that he and uh, Oliver Stone, who actually co-wrote the screenplay, they really did go and look at Howard's original notes and at his at his at and they they studied Howard a lot. and And the big thing was that the physical nature of Conan, this almost fascist, uh, this almost fascist fetish about strength and and power, and that's really you know Arnold Schwarzenegger his character and his persona really personified that so Mm. there wasn't there was a back to basics influence in the conan movie that you know they talked about he talked about that the conan stories were 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 adult stories for the time they weren't kids stories Um, over and i were uh, working on the script uh, (laughs) (laughs) sounds kind of like that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but they uh, they really did talk about that. And then Arnold, Arnold would say, but this is the part where they made the sword. This was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I do. I would love to find the Texas, the Robert Howard Texas stories. So oh I, think, I think that's something that we as is we'll have Texas to find podcasts those. really yeah, need to go seek out. We'll seek that out. Maybe that could be a, a, a fun live reading or something we do sometime. Well, there you go. Um, it's a shame that he took his own life. Uh, it's a shame that uh, we lost a great talent with many years left to go. But, um, you know, he inspired a generation of writers and, uh, you know, really created a whole amazing work of fiction. All from, uh, from a little desk in the middle of West Texas. Kind of cool. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you know what's best in life, you'll tell your friends about this podcast and leave a review on iTunes because that helps us to find warriors just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, go to patreon.com slash Podcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-a-Texas-ranger. Keep watching the skies. We're finishing up the last pieces, and we should be bringing texaspodcast.fm online soon, just like your grandpa's old radio. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.